This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, this is Pat Pearson and Hot Pie Media bringing you Stop Self-Sabotage. I'm going to be bringing you this program every week, and we're going to be delving into the wonderful messiness of our lives. We're going to be talking about your hopes, your fears, and the emotional issues that you need to resolve to make you even happier will be discussed at all all the times we're together. In this process, you got to ask yourself, what's in it for you? Well, what's in it is an uplifting information, renewed hope, and some fabulous people who are going to come in to share their life stories, all of it wrapped up in a wonderful container to help you deserve even more of life's great adventure. Come join me. We're going to have a good time on Hot Pie Media, Stop So Sabotage. Permission from your past. All of us grew up in families that gave us or withheld permission for success. In my family, I heard different messages from my mother and from my father, and so did you. We're going to be talking about those messages and how the past becomes prologue, how our information that we internalized many times before the age of five is still playing out in our lives now. You know, when I do all my seminars on stop self-sabotage around the country for all these great different companies I work for, this part of my seminar is the one everybody gets touched in because we're dealing with messages that are deep in our hearts and our core. And these messages tell us what we can have and what we can't have in life. They become our inner barometer. What in psychology is called scripts. We all have a script, just like a movie script, that we're living out of. Some of these scripts hold us back, and hopefully we're going to change those and get scripts that gives us more permission for what we want. But just listen and listen to what this is made of. Some of us had families that cheered us on at whatever we wanted to achieve. Others came from families that were more cautious, a little scared for us, and their admonitions held us back. Within this culture, there are specific roles that men and women get told they can do. If you wanted to do something that was out of that role, you may not have received permission to do it. Then you had to struggle with giving yourself permission. Your programs for living what you heard about yourself, or what your parents did with their lives, the models they showed you, are a part of your permission system. You inherited your permissions from all the stories, myths, and statements that your family or important mentors made about you. You were told about your abilities in word and behavior by the people closest to you. Your personal beliefs about yourself are scripted into your permission system. These permissions follow you and direct your life's course. Maybe you are a people person, an extrovert just like Dad. Dad happens to be a top-ranked insurance salesman, so naturally you'd be good in sales. Sometimes your permissions come from important people other than your parents. Jim's leadership abilities were anchored into his unconscious by a strong relationship with his parish priest. Jim was trained in life lessons by the Jesuits, beliefs in service and sacrifice for others. He became the youth fellowship president of his church club. One afternoon, his mentor came up to him, took hold of his arm and said, you will be a very important man one day. You are a leader of men. 
This permission went through to Jim's unconscious and became a powerful psychological imprint. He grew up to become a recognized leader in the broadcasting field and a highly active community person. Some of us have a lack of permission from our past. When we start to go after something, we turn it into blocks and sabotage ourselves because inside of ourselves, we don't believe it is possible. This can create enormous conflict within us. Phyllis wants to have a successful career and also be a loving, effective wife and mother. When she was growing up, she saw women who did one or the other, but no one who did both successfully. Her mother never believed that she could have both. Phyllis has to create new permission. Based on her role models she sees now, women who do manage to balance several roles and still take care of themselves. Maybe you've got mixed permission. From one parent you may have heard, you can't do that. And from the other, that's great, kid, you can do it. When you start to move toward a new goal that pushes you beyond your comfort zone, you get two messages in your head. Guess what? Your action becomes ambivalent, one step forward, one step back, depending upon which permission is the more active at that moment. A lot of people got mixed permissions from the same parent. One time they'd hear one thing and another time another. It takes some sorting to figure out what you've been paying most attention to. Sometimes a parent says one thing and acts another, which means you may have learned to do the same thing. The classic line is, do what I say, not what I do. Your parents did the very best job they could and loved you the very best way they knew how. Sometimes what you heard was not what they said, but rather how you interpret it out of your own perception. Your parents may now have tremendous support for you without your realizing it. The limitations they placed on you when you were small may have long since disappeared in their minds, but not in yours. A lot of people live out the permission they had and received at age five. And if they don't update that permission, they stay the same. So we wouldn't let a five-year-old run our businesses or do our hair or drive our cars. But if we don't update that information we internalized, we are essentially letting beliefs that we created at five control us now. If you believe you were shy, retiring, and could not have good relationships back then, unless you change that early program, you live it out your whole life. Think about what your family said about relationships. Does everyone in your family stay happily married, or is divorce the accepted way? Is your father or mother the boss or the negative one? What kind of opposite-sex partner are you attracted to? Does he or she remind you of your parent? Sally has spent thousands of dollars on therapy and still could not seem to make relationships work. She did have an exercise in my seminar in which she closed her eyes and told her mother what she wanted, which was a fifth husband, then clearly heard her mother say, don't fool with them, they'll all leave you anyway. No wonder none of her relationships ever lasted. The challenge is for you to give yourself new permission to let yourself believe you can have what you want. You can find other sources within yourself and from other people to get the permission you do not currently have. Many times in my seminars, these issues around our permissions are some of the most important insights people get. I want to give you uh, a chance for you to have this kind of experience. I want you to think about two things that you really want to have in your life in the next year of your life, one personal and one professional. Just think of what those are can be anything. It can be going up to the next level in your businesses. It can be losing 10 pounds. It can be going to Hawaii on a vacation. Whatever it is you want. 
I want you to think of what those two things are. And once you have that, I want you to close your eyes. Of course, don't do this if you're driving. Close your eyes and ask your father what he thinks about you receiving and creating these two things for yourself. And listen to his response. Whether he's alive or not alive, it doesn't matter. Just tell him what you want and listen what he says to you about your ability to make that happen. And now go to your mother. Ask her what you want. Tell her what you want to achieve in the next year, both personal and professional. And listen to what she says to you about your ability to make that happen. And now go to your best friend, mate, husband, or wife, and ask them in fantasy what they think about your abilities to make that happen. Now open your eyes and come back. Many times you got a mixed permission. One parent said yes, another parent said no, or maybe your parents were on your side and and giving you the right information support, but a, a partner is against it. Whatever it is, you know, in my life, in my head, one of my goals was financial. And what I heard from my mother is, add a girl, Pat, anything you want to do, you go out there and do it. And what I heard from my dad is, are you kidding me? You're a girl. You can't make that kind of money. So I have a mixed permission. And when I start to make plans about financial success and plans to go forward, I hit some of my blocks with that because it depends on what part of the equation, what part of the permission system I'm listening to. If I'm listening to the part that says I can do it, I make the plans, I go ahead, I go out there, I build uh, the new products, I give the speeches. If I'm listening to the part of me that says I can't do it, I take long lunches, I file, I dust. If I'm really depressed, I vacuum, but I don't do my business. And I don't think I'm any different from any of you. It depends on what we listen to. Our permission system is the way we calibrate our actions in our world. If we don't have permission to get what we want, we keep running into the same self-sabotages over and over. Here are the questions to ask yourself. Do I have the permission I need to get what I want in my life? And if the answer to that is no, what area do I need to build up my permission in? So we're all in the process of building and creating permission. Let me give you some examples. I uh, was working with a lovely woman who every year made uh, $60,000. And as soon as she got close to making more than $60,000, she just stopped. She stopped producing, she stopped working, and she didn't understand it because all of her friends were making more money than she was. And she would keep running into these blocks and hit the block and hit the block. So finally, after one of my seminars, she called me up and she decided to do some business coaching. And she said, Pat, I know I'm self-sabotaging, but I don't know why. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about it. And as we talked about it, we found out that her father, who was her only surviving parent, her mother had died when she was 10, had never made over 60000 a year. And she was afraid if she did better than he did, 
that he wouldn't love her anymore. And the love was much more important to her than the money. So as soon as she got close to that level of success, she sabotaged because she was afraid of losing him. And I said to her, I said, well, what do you think? I mean, will he really not love you at 61.5? I mean, come on, what can we do? So she decided she'd call him and find out. She called him. She started talking to him about about the issues and how she wanted to make more money and what did he think about it. And he said, absolutely, I'd love you no matter how much money you make. Go out there and make it happen. So she was happy and she felt good. She had her good energy back and she left. About six months later, I ran into her at a party. I said, how are you doing? What's happening? She said, well, Pat, I'm doing great. Everything's going well. I said, well, what about the money? She said, well, this year, my first commission check was for 15000 That year, she made $150,000. I told her that if I'd had a higher deserve level, I would have charged her a commission and not a flat fee. She did better than anybody in her area by getting out of her own way, by giving herself new permission. Let me give you another example. This woman uh, I worked with, the company she was in, she needed to get 30 people under her to become a director. She loved her business. She oozed good thoughts about it, good feelings about it. She talked about it all the time. And so one of the things that happened is that she would attract lots of people to her, and she would get their cards, and and people would want her to follow up. And she'd take all these cards, and she'd go home and put them in the desk drawer and shut the drawer. And she never called them. She never followed up. Now, she knew that that was a self-sabotage. She knew that she was not doing what she needed to do. So finally, she said to me, she said, Pat, I know I'm sabotaging, but I don't know how to get out of it. So I said, okay. So we started to talk. We found out that when she was eight years old, she had come in with Girl Scout cookies. And she was going to go all around the neighborhood and sell her Girl Scout cookies, but her father came home early and saw all these cookies there. And she said to him, she said, Dad, I'm going to go door to door. I'm going to sell all these cookies. I'm going to be number one in my Girl Scout group. And her father looked at her and he said, Now, honey, I am going to buy all your cookies. So I don't want you going door to door and bothering the neighbors. Fast forward 30 years. She's now 38 years old. She's trying to build a business. She has to talk to people and get back to them to build the business. In her head, she hears, don't bother the neighbors. It's a deal killer. It makes her want to stop, makes her not want to work, and she doesn't. That lack of permission from her past kept her stuck until she was able to see it and she was able to turn it around. What she did, and this is true of everybody's permissions, she turned it around and she said to herself a new permission. She gave herself a new permission from her past. And she said, I love and honor my father and I choose to be successful in my business. So you can acknowledge your past and forgive the people for what they didn't know or what they weren't able to give to you. And now in the present, redo your messages. And that's what we talk about when we say, give yourself new permission from your past to update the messages, not to stay with the old ones because the old ones are going to keep you where you are and they're going to keep you stuck. The issue in personal development is to have a new answer to an old issue. And the new answer is new permission. So think of the areas that you want to have good things in, your health, 
your career, your family. And I want to challenge you to come up with new permission from your past. What do you want to say to yourself that makes you feel good, that points you in the right direction, that attracts the right positive energy to any one of those areas? Start with the word I choose and make an affirmation that gives you new permission from your past. Money is another powerful issue in your permission systems. How did your parents handle money? See yourself asking your parents for money. What did they say? How did they feel about people who had or didn't have money? What was money to be used for? Funds, savings, or just to squeak by? How much is enough? Did they believe that you could make money? Health is another permission area. How about the permission for health? Are you a heart attack family? What are your family's stories about longevity and personal health? At what age do you expect to get ill? Or do you expect to stay healthy until you die? Few people will find it productive to actually go back to their parents and try to get the permission that they did not get 30 years ago. You will know by your behavior what you got and what you did not get. There is no magic in this. Just look at your outcomes and what you are doing, and from them, you will be able to trace back to your origins. If you have conflict in making money, then there's some conflict from your family. If you have conflict in your health, there's probably some conflict in your family. Once you know what it is that your internal permission system has not been allowing you to have, you can change it. Until then, you are stuck into blaming outside forces. We look for excuses. We pass the buck. If we don't take responsibility, that's how we stay blocked. We make statements like, the economy is lousy. There are no good single men or single women left. It was all uh, politics. They discriminate against people like me. I was so good, I intimidated them. It's all my husband's fault or my wife's fault. You have the power not only to find out how you were blocked, but also the power to change it. That's a lot better than thinking that life is doing it to you. Because from that position, you do not have any power. Empowerment is understanding that we don't change other people or events. We change ourselves. And once we change our own beliefs, our own system of thinking and feeling, we change everything. Most of the time, we spend a lot of energy and time trying to change them. We think if we don't feel good, something's wrong with them, when it may indeed be wrong with how we're perceiving. So I want to give you some time to work on this for yourself. Life is about personal development. So for right now, I want you to get out a piece of paper, and I want you to answer these questions. Permissions from my past, and this is in reference to success, love, and health. From my mother positive permissions for success. Write down what your mother said to you or you inferred from her feeling state about you, about your success. Are you the chosen child or are you the one who's always going to mess up? So were you good at school or did you always have problems there? So that's kind of buys into success mode. Love. What did your mother say to you that was positive about you and being loved? Health. What did your mother say to you about your health? Did you come from a strong line of Norwegians? That's what my mother told me. You know, they lived till they were 90s. My aunt was doing her floors at 99, which is not really what I wanted to do, but I'm glad she was alive that long to do it. All right. From mom, negative permissions. Success. What did they say, she say negatively to you about your ability to be successful? 
love and health. We get both. So from your mom, now from your father, write down the positive permissions. What did he say about you being successful? Positive. What did he say about you being loved? Positively. And what did he say about your health? It's positive. And let's go to the negative side from dad. What did he say? The negative permissions for your success, for your love, and for your health. Now, if you jot all these down, you're going to have the makings of the script that you have been living out. If you don't like it, then you need to be able to zone in on what area you want to change. Now, from a significant other, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, what are the positive permissions for success, for love, and for health? And what are the negative permissions? Success, love, and health. Now that you understand the unconscious power of permission from your past, you're ready to move into the new phase, deciding what you really want. Not what others wanted for you, not what you were supposed to want, but what do you really want? We're in our leading expert section, and I am talking with a new friend of mine, Libby Gill. Hi, Libby. Hi, Pat. How are you? Good, good. You have a wonderful book called Traveling Hopefully, which is truly how we all want to travel. And it's called How to Lose Your Family Baggage and Jumpstart Your Life. What a great title. Thank you. Tell us, is there any significance in that title? Well, the title, Traveling Hopefully, came from a a Robert Louis Stevenson quote that I'd heard in grad school when I had set out to be a therapist but decided to become a coach instead along the way after a long entertainment career. But Robert Louis Stevenson said to travel hopefully is a better thing than to arrive. And I just thought that was was such an apt description for how we should all attempt to live our lives. That is a great, it's a great description. I'm, I'm underlining it right now as you just said it. Now, um, you have a very varied career. You, so tell us about that. Where, where have you been and why are you writing books and tell us all about you. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> it is a, a little strange, uh, path. I actually started out as an actress on a soap opera no. and on uh, General Hospital and very quickly discovered that that was not going to be my, my life's work. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just, not only did it turn out not to be really my passion, but it just, it was just far too difficult to get work. So I very quickly started working behind the camera in the public relations department of a studio. And 15 years later, I had worked at three major studios, Sony, Turner Broadcasting, and Universal, and, um, in the marketing and public relations area, and also in, in programming and development. Uh-huh. And it was great fun, but I, I just got to this turning point where I thought I've worked awfully hard to end up where I didn't want to be. And it really took me aback when I thought about it. I've been climbing this ladder for years, and here I am up at the top thinking, wait a minute, I, I've got to go down. So I decided I would work my way down the ladder. And it really started me on this soul-searching journey of looking into why I made the choices I'd made, how I ended up on this path that I never meant to set out on, and it it sent me on back on this this traveling hopefully journey looking at how the past had affected the decisions I was making in the present. Right, right. And and that's what your book is really about. It's, about, it's about overcoming family baggage mm-hmm. and and turning that around. Mm-hmm. What did you what did you learn about, about when you were doing that for yourself? What what happened? Well, first of all, what I found is it sort of it, it broke down into a few different steps. And and I had grown up like a lot of people. I'd grown up with an, an alcoholic parent and a mental illness in my family and a, a lot of chaos, a lot of tragedy. 
And I, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I'd, I'd gotten over it. I was a very functional, very successful person, and mm-hmm. but yet I wasn't making the best choices I could make for myself. So I decided I would would dissect my past so that I could really direct my future in a better direction. And that was the first step: was really looking inward. And I use a lot of tools, and they're all in traveling. Hopefully, I call them the 21 hopeful tools. And many of them start with that inner journey. Uh, and they, and this is what I did. I mean, I had no idea I was writing a book at the time, but I began to go back and look at, you know, my own flaws, my own dramas of childhood. You know, go back and deconstruct those things that that form that self belief basis, and right. really to begin to challenge them and to look at who I wanted to be in the future. And I, I have people do things like envisioning a healing sanctuary if they feel like they need it, at least a mental, if not a physical place, that they can get away and have time to reflect and mm. to think. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to mentally go into the sanctuary and ask yourself some of these questions right. when you're right. there. Right. Um, now, all right, let's go back to your family baggage. What, so you mean, what, does that mean that we all have family baggage? Does well, everybody, everybody does. I mean, there are some people who are blessed with, with families where they, they feel loved and cherished and, and nurtured their entire lives. Many of us don't have that. But even, even those of us who are from, you know, ideal, and that's in quotes, families, yeah. still have things we've grown up with. I mean, I've had many clients who said, oh, you know, I learned from my dad that I'm no good at math and I'd never be good running my own business. Or people who think, oh, my sister was the smart one. I was the dumb kid. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. just form this kind of, uh, I have people actually go back and tag their baggage, just like they were putting a label <laughs> on a suitcase. <laughs> and pick your funny. baggage. Yeah. And then challenge it and reframe it as a positive. So if you've always, others have told you, whether a spouse or a boss, you're a controlling person, you're an aggressive person, challenge that and see if that's really true. And maybe it's, and maybe you are, and if so, take steps to change it. But if, in fact, you're not controlling, you you think of yourself as a detail-oriented person or a strong leader, then reframe it as something positive and then live up to that positive image. So, yes. And so go back and tag. I love that. Tag it. And um, and do what most of the airlines do, and that is lose some of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lose your baggage. Right? Lose your baggage. Mm-hmm. Or one of my lines that you probably will love is uh, that it may be Louis Vuitton, but it's still baggage. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Um, so when I talk about that, and I talk about similar things, mm-hmm. you know, we found out that we've, we have uh, a lot in common. We have a lot in common, and, and we're writing about similar things. I talk about permission from your past, mm-hmm. and some of the messages that we all get about ourselves. Like, you know, you're just like Great Aunt Freda. Well, if Great Aunt Freda was a fabulous human being, that's great. But if she talked to trees, that's something else again. Exactly. So, you know, we're all told that we're like people mm-hmm. in our families. We're told that we have qualities like them. We're mm-hmm. told that we're the smart one or the, or the, you know, the, or the, the counselor. One or the fat one. Right. Mm-hmm. So now when you want to shed that baggage, let's say that you've decided that's too limiting. Mm-hmm. Tell me a couple things that you need to do to do that. I know you talk about jumpstarting your life. Well, the first thing, and I have people do this as a real exercise, list those words that, that are meaningful to you, that have some, still have some sort of emotional power over you. Literally, write those down. And I have a laundry list, and, and it's a pretty ugly words, but these are words people have told me that they have been called. They have been saddled with these kinds of labels. And then make a conscious decision about how you're going to reframe that. So that's the first step. You can really make a conscious decision to, to put a change to that. And then you can begin to really look at some of the other things like 
like look at those past dramas of your childhood. You know, what, what were the big stories of life that framed you? And at the same time, recapture some of the moments of, of passion and exuberance of childhood and let that inform what you may or may not be doing in your life now. I have people so often telling me, and I'll ask them, you know, what did you want to do as a kid? What do you still want to do now? You know, and they'll say things like, well, gee, you know, I loved singing. And I'll ask them, well, when's the last time you performed or you sang? Well, gee, it's probably 10 or 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've sent so many people out to join a church choir, start a band with the, you know, the neighbors, whatever it is. It's not necessarily to go out and be, become an astronaut or a ballerina, you know, at age 50, but to find that joyfulness, that, that element that they loved in their youth and bring it into their life consciously now, whether it's in their work or in their personal life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what you, when you're talking about jump-starting your life, Libby, that's what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And what are the five steps to do that? The, the first step is what we've been talking about, dissect your past so you can direct your future. And it's all of those things. It's permission from your past, as you said. It's looking at all of those things and clarifying what you need to let go of. Mm-hmm. And the second step is to link a sense of internal vision, clarity, internal clarity with external action. In other words, it's great to, you can be a dreamer and a thinker, and I have a a test on my website, are you you a dreamer or a doer? Mm -hmm. Look Mm -hmm. at that and decide, you know, where your default is on that continuum, because you're you're usually, not all either or all the time, but you usually have a comfort zone in either the, I'm going to go, go, go and take action, but you may not necessarily be the person who, who... who knows where that action and that momentum is supposed to take you, so that can be a frustrating result. Or you might be a dreamer who stays in that all the time. But once you link the two, then you begin to take action, but you also have a direction you know where you want to go. So that's the second step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The third step is to create your personal roadmap, to really break it down. You know, it's lovely to be a visionary and think big, but I'm all about thinking small. You know, the smaller the step. Mm-hmm. incremental inches that move you forward. Mm-hmm. So determine, because people will say, I had somebody who was starting a business. He told me in a workshop, he, he had this idea, great idea, wanted to start a business. But as soon as he started to write a business plan, that was it. It just That just scared him. It was just too huge. So instead, he bought a book about how to write a business plan, and his assignment was read a chapter a right. night. Right. And he did that. Mm-hmm. And once he did that, he was able to work through the fear and start taking little tiny baby steps. You know, that's a, such a great um, uh, point because, you know, I uh, do a lot of coaching, as you know, too. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, I hear, you know, that we self-sabotage by by just making it too big right. and making it too hard. And, you know, my whole line for people is I say, do less, better. Yeah. Don't do more. Yeah. You know, we can't do more. Right. You know, I can't do what I do already. Right, exactly. Right. right. <laughs> Let alone do more. Right. So small steps. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that takes you right to the next step because you, most of us can't do more already, and that's to create a support squad. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows, you know, you've got to have a team, you've got to have your network. But no one, what I found when I was looking for this, I didn't really know how to create one. And in my late 40s, I not only became single for the first time in many years, I also left the corporate world, started my own company, and published my first book. And all of this happened at once. And I thought, I'm never going to get through this on my own. And like most people, I was one of those, you know, I've got to do it myself. I can't show people how needy I am or how clueless I am. I I just have to (laughs) slug it out. But I decided that was just hogwash. It was not going to fly any longer. So I started asking for help. And I went to an old boss of mine and asked him to be a business mentor. I found some financial, you know, some people who could really help me with my finances. And then once I saw, when I was clear and conscious about what I wanted and those people showed up, 
I started a list on my laptop, and I, by function or by name, if I knew somebody already and I wanted them on the team, I put their name down. Mm-hmm. Like you, Pat, you know, mm-hmm. we've recruited one another. Right, right. If I right. knew somebody by function, if I knew I needed, you know, a housekeeper or an advertising person, some help marketing, whatever that is, but I didn't know the person, I wrote the function down, and pretty soon, I was able to fill in all those blank lines, and it was a matter of keeping my eyes open, being very conscious about the kind of help I wanted. I mean, it was like in my old corporate days when I used to go to those big fancy corporate retreats, and you know, we'd sit around the conference table, and and there'd be people from all different disciplines there to to look at a problem or look at a challenge with many different perspectives. And I would sit back, you know, I was already tuning out in those days, thinking. Now, wouldn't it be nice if this I, this were my table? I'm at the head of the table, and I've got my whole board of directors here to help me, and that's essentially what I did. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. in traveling, hopefully, I go through some of those conversations about how you recruit that help, how you manage the help that you've got, how you give back to the people that are there to help you, and there really is a language of support, and all you need to do is, is learn how to use it. What I really like about what you're saying is that if you just list what you need. There's sort of the law of attraction that goes into that, you know? Definitely. And so you start pulling that to you. So you don't, maybe you don't have the money for a secretary, mm-hmm. okay? Or you don't have, um, uh, the, the money for a um, gardener or a, you know, housekeeper, but you put it out there and say, this is where I want help. Right. Somehow or other, life starts moving around, right. and you find ways to get that. Well, I'll tell you, I had one coaching client, and I go through this process with everything, because I certainly don't pretend to be an expert in all things. I want everybody to have a personal team. And sometimes they're experts, like coaches, or financial people, CPAs, but they're also often friends. You know, they, they can be a network of people from your community college classes or, or whatever. But I had one woman I was working with, and she was building her team. And she really, she was starting an, an etiquette business, great business, and she needed a copywriter. And she just didn't know where to get it, but that's what she was, she was very conscious. I need somebody to help me write these brochures and pamphlets. And I get the phone call one day, you'll never believe it. She went to a luncheon and she won the door prize, which was a day-long session with a copywriter. Yeah. No kidding. And that was it. She had her copywriter. They did her first brochure. Of course. Yes. Of course. See? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just pull it to you. Right. Okay. So, and step five is? Step five is to keep moving toward what you want and away from what no longer serves you. Mm-hmm. Sounds simple, but it's just that you keep going in that direction. For example, I, I work with a lot of fitness people. And when I'll talk to a fitness group, there'll be somebody who say something like, you know, my goal was to lose 50 pounds and I only lost 48, therefore I'm a failure. And, of course, you know, I'll look at the rest of the group and say, what do you think? And most people will scratch their heads and say, how is that a failure? But what I have to explain is if you frame it, if you're moving toward what you want, maybe you're a little short of your goal, but you're 48 pounds closer than you were before. You're moving away from what doesn't serve you. Right, 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 right. And, you know, I I find, too, that most of us don't have any tolerance for not getting there. You know, it's like it's like I want this done and I want it done now. And and four days from now when it's not done, I want to throw up my hands. Right. We're not good with frustration. And the world we live in, it's so immediate. Everything's at our fingertips. You know, we get annoyed if the email doesn't go through quickly enough. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's just, it's, it's, we've got a lot of stimulation. There's a lot of stuff coming at us every day. And, yeah, most people don't have tolerance for fr- 
frustration or setbacks or snags or obstacles, but that's exactly what it's about. You know the obstacles are there. You know you're going to be hit with problems. I mean, some you can anticipate, and that's one thing. I have people build contingency plans if they've got health issues or financial issues, whatever it is. If you know what it is, be prepared for it because there's plenty that you you don't know that it's coming, but it it shouldn't throw you off your path. I mean, you get right back on whether it's you know you goofed up on your diet and you've got to get back on. You got laid off of a job, a relationship went bust, whatever it is, you get back on and mm-hmm. keep moving toward what you want. Mm-hmm. And that's really the hard part, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, otherwise, everybody would be doing it. Because yeah, we'd what all we be do there. As coaches is so much common sense, but it is not common practice. That's true. And w- well said. Well said. Okay. So how do you put these steps into practice? What would you, and, and from your book, we want everyone to get your book, mm-hmm. Traveling, hopefully. We're going to talk about to your website in a second. Tell me some of the steps that you would use to put this into practice. Well, what you do after you understand the, these five principles, these five steps, go back and work through the tools. And these are exercises. Some of them are internal. They're, they're visualization. Some are writing things down. And some are purely practical, like um, like the, the power of the three Ps. That's listing your personal goals, your professional goals, and just for fun, your possessions, what you want to own, what you want to be surrounded with mm-hmm. in your life. So there are some that are, that are more internal and abstract, and there are some tools that are much more about, you know, let's create that roadmap and start moving towards it, start adding accountability factors and structures. And what I tell people is you'll probably fall in a comfort area within these 21 tools. Some will feel better and resonate more for you, but work sequentially, and the ones that you feel most resistant towards, those are the ones where you need to concentrate a little more because you need to do something new and something different. So if you don't see yourself as a visual person, you try it anyway. Uh-huh. If you don't see yourself as a button-down detail person, you know, break those goals down into weekly or daily goals and start moving towards them and find an accountability buddy, somebody on your support squad to keep pushing you forward. Uh-huh. So there is a process, and it's it's a really doable process, and it, it's one foot at a time. But if you work through these tools, and I specifically designed it in 21 tools because people can do it in three weeks. They can just work through seven, you know, once a day. You do one tool, whether it's writing in a journal or looking at ways to be more creative or going out and adding somebody to your support your support squad, you can do one tool a day that's going to just keep moving you towards that finish line, whatever you've decided you want to do. But the whole point of traveling, hopefully, is that you don't defer the joyfulness or the happiness or the feeling of, of fulfillment until you get whatever that it is, you know, until you win the prize or you get the promotion or you find the partner, you find that joyfulness along the way with the journey. You create a life that makes sense to you right now and that you can feel the joy of arriving at that moment but not waiting for it. Good, good, good. I I love that. Now, how did this... So you got out of a marriage, you got out of a career, you got into uh, a coaching. How did you decide to guide others through uh, through these life transitions? How did you become a coach? Well, the whole process of changing careers was, was so arduous for me, and I, I had changed jobs within the entertainment industry several times and changed studios three times and then changed from the whole public relations communication field into the creative area, into programming and development and those were difficult changes and I was always looking for a mentor and that was it, it just no one appeared I was and it maybe maybe was where my mindset it was at the time but it is hard to find mentors in the corporate world it's very competitive 
People don't always want to share information, and, and sometimes it's just because it's so changeable. Most people stay on a job an average of five years. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to create that, that internal support, but I loved it as a boss, as a leader. I always had a large staff, and it was my job to, to develop you know, young kids often into real leaders, and they're all over the entertainment industry today. So I knew that was my strength and my passion. And when I started writing, and my first book is a parenting book, when I started writing, and I decided this is it. I'm ready to move, and I just decided to make the leap. I was actually I was offered another job that would have taken me higher up that career ladder, and at that point I'd begun to to really think about whether that was the right move, if I wanted to do that or not. And I just thought, you know, I I just sat on it and really tried to tune into that internal voice which said, uh-uh, don't do it, uh-huh. wrong move for you. And I, I turned it down. And went out on my own and started working at first with people in the entertainment industry who were sure. looking to make transitions. Mm-hmm. And then it branched out from there. And now I work with people with high-level executives and also entrepreneurs all over the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone um, wanted to work with you with these, um, uh, the hopeful tool, uh, tools and, and the information in traveling, hopefully, how would they reach you, Libby? They can reach me through my website, which is LibbyGill.com, or they can, and it's got all my contact information. They could just call my office or email me, and I'll set up a complimentary consultation with anybody to find out what their needs are, what challenges they're facing, and then I'll explain how the coaching relationship works and specifically what I do. Great, great. And um, so, one, okay, some some tools. No, I just want to go back here just for one minute, too, and then we're going to wrap it up. But some of the 21 hopeful tools, uh, tell us one or two of those and how they work. Okay. okay? Well, I mentioned the Healing Sanctuary, which I really love because I think we all need a break from, from stress. And what what I have people do is really envision a place in their past or in their present or in their mind that it feels that it gives them what they're missing, whether that's comfort, tranquility, whatever that need is that they have. And I was working with a coaching client, a guy in a sales job, high pressure, high level, always jumping on planes, you know, crazy schedule. And he really needed to slow down, if not on his schedule, at least in his mind. So I had him... If, think of a place that, that uh, uh, start to visualize this place that you can just, if you've got five minutes on an airplane or you're, you know, somebody's late for a call, you can just sit there and meditate on this place. And by meditate, I just mean close your eyes and concentrate. It's that simple. And he said, you know, the place for me like that was in my college dorm room. And it was when I would sit on my bed, you know, the little twin bed playing my guitar. That was my sanctuary. Hmm. And I said, so when's the last time you played guitar? And he said, well, gosh, I guess that would be about 13 years ago. And I said, well, let's make that your healing sanctuary and begin to see that when you need to lower your blood pressure, Uh slow down your heart rate, Uh you know, really breathe Uh deeply. And he began to use that on planes before he'd go into a pitch meeting. And he told me he could actually see himself playing and he would feel his hands sort of, you know, fingering the chords on the guitar. Uh And then pretty soon he decided to take that a step further and he sort of carved out an area in his basement. He lived in the East Coast. He had a big basement. And he made a music room for himself. And he created a real physical healing sanctuary. He got out his old guitars. He bought a new one and he began to play. And he said it was one of the best things he'd ever done. It brought him such joy and such release to be able to play music again. Wow. Wow, that's that's lovely, and and to be able to take it with you. I mean, that you can close your eyes in traffic, or mm-hmm. well, not when you're driving, but you know, or in a doctor's office or something, and, exactly. and revisit this healing place. Mm-hmm. That's that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. All right, well, 
So the readers, uh, all your readers, uh, read Traveling Hopefully with Libby Gill. And anyone who's interested in talking to her about coaching, you can do that too. Libby, you were just a delight. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Oh, thank you, Pat. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.